And we're doing a series on the Bible for those of you who haven't been in a little while or are just new. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with this community, then you won't know that this is a very brave move for us. Because <laughs> lots of our community are frightened, and rightfully so, of the Bible. <laughs> It's not that our community doesn't take the Bible seriously. It's that some of our community have taken the Bible so seriously for so long that they feel it needs a small bomb disposal unit to keep them safe from it. Uh, We start all of our series. Our series usually go for the same gestation period as a human baby, which is around nine months. I think the last major series we did... uh, Evie beat us out of the womb. (laughs) So we're going to try and speed things along this time. Uh, But we walk slowly because we're we're a simple people. (laughs) We're a simple people in our natural environment. Um, We start each series by talking about uh, stories, about our stories, about what we as a community bring to a subject and we offer our experiences and we offer our questions. We offer our roadblocks and we hope for green pastures together. And so we're right near the start. So I'm going to give you uh, a little overview of some of the questions that we've asked. If you would like to hear about them in more depth, you can jump on the podcast and listen to the last couple of weeks. Um, and you can look on the Facebook page. We we'll put some stuff up there as well. But the first question we asked was, how would you describe your relationship to the Bible? Um, And people kindly responded. Um, Distant or non-existent was a very common theme. Um, This little quote summed it up quite well. Like an old friend I haven't caught up with in years, and I'm secretly worried that we've both changed too much to pick the relationship back up. But I miss them. Anxious or overwhelmed? I don't know how to make sense of it. It's too complex, confusing, and strange. Uh, Ambivalent? I'm not sure I want to make sense of it. And the Bible and I are pretty close. People who still feel a real kinship and kindred spirit with it. So there's quite a range of experiences. Um, Some people feel a blend of all of these things all at once, and that's quite natural as well. Last week we talked about our hopes for the series. What do I hope will come of this series? And so I'm going to quickly uh, just talk us through a range of uh, feedback that we got. Lots of people want a new relationship with the Bible, a relationship that heals rather than hurts, where there is more peace, comfort, joy, and life, and less tension. A relationship that isn't governed by shoulds, that is a return to the original joy that they had, that feels lighter and more expansive, that brings life and not judgment, that is healthy and to know what that even means, that is more grown up and that is connected but not dogmatic. I hope that I can find reconciliation with this book that complicates an already 
complicated relationship. Lots of people, um, as the first step to finding the new relationship with the Bible, many people feel like they need to let go of their old relationship. In this community, we talk a lot about disentanglement and entanglement, that often we need to disentangle from something before we can connect with it safely or healthily again to undo some old patterns. By listening to other people's relationships with it, by separating the Bible from hurtful ways it has been used in the past, by being freed from the need to defend it or account for it to others, by letting go of cynicism, by letting go of needing to understand everything of the need for certainty, by identifying the filters that they read the Bible through. Those are quite useful hopes, aren't they? Many people would like to be, to be inspired and able to read it again We've got lots of slashes here. <laughs> and, or more often, or finally being released to be okay with not reading it. Um, Alexis mentioned last week, I keep my Bible by my, next to my bed out of guilt. I hope to one day be able to use it or put it away. It's a really profound illustration of what lots of our relationship with Scripture is, that we've got it, and we can't actually engage with it because we're too terrified of it. But we're also so scared of what might happen if we put it away. I remember chatting a while ago with a, um, someone who was transitioning out of this community. And they had stopped believing in God a long time ago. Um, they certainly didn't really have any sense of day-to-day need for religion or spirituality. Uh, but they'd stuck around church community for about three years past this point because they're terrified they'd go to hell if they ever left. Fear does strange things, doesn't it? Many people would like to know how to read it and or not feel dumb when they read it and or know how regularly they need to engage with it. and or find who's got the authority to tell them such things. Many people would like to know what role it should play in their lives or how it can help them know themselves better. Many people would like to have an awareness of God, of who God is through it, to read the Bible alongside other ways of hearing God's voice. So that's our kind of little synopsis. We got about, I don't know how many bits of paper and emails and things like that from different people describing what their hopes were for this series and that covers a bunch of them, so hopefully you feel somewhat represented in that group. If not, feel free to email us in and we'll add that to the collection. Before we get too deep into talking about how we might find a way forward with the Bible, we thought it was worth addressing something that seems to lie beneath so many of our stories. The Bible has been defined in ways which have been deeply troubling for many of us who take it seriously. Yet most of us don't feel empowered to find a healthier way to engage with it. We're going to do a little imagination exercise. I love imagination exercises. The universal symbol for imagination is this. And then everything goes fuzzy and you're in imagination land. I learned that from SpongeBob. Would everyone like to do the imagination signs with us? 
Yeah, excellent. See? Synchronicity. Good. I want you to imagine that you've never seen, heard of, or know of an egg beater. Close your eyes. Picture an egg beater and then make it disappear. It's Christmas time. You're hanging out with your family, aunts, uncles, grandparents. If you don't have that kind of family, then imagine it. (laughs) There's a present, much like this one, with your name on it. And it's been sent by your eccentric aunt who lives in some far-off strange land. What could it be, you wonder? The rustle of paper... The excitement, either carefully separating the sellotape from the paper to keep it for later or just ripping it open, depending on your personality. I want you to be in this story. You open it up, and to your surprise, it contains a foreign object you've never seen or heard of. No one in the room knows what this thing is. Confusion reigns. Speculation grows. What could this be that eccentric Auntie Irene sent from said far-flung land? You're about to put it aside when Grandpa Joe speaks up. A hush descends upon the room because Grandpa Joe knows everything. Everyone knows that if anyone would know what this was, it'd be Grandpa Joe. I'm quite confident it's an old-style personal grooming kit. I saw soldiers use them in the war to tend to their bikini lines before taking a dip in the Mediterranean. If you're careful and get just the right angle, they do a remarkable job. You're a little nervous, but Grandpa Joe knows everything, so you commit to giving it a go. Close your eyes, you're in imagination land. (laughs) Now I want you to find just the right angle. How long do you persist for? Do you try it? Why? For how many years will you use this personal grooming kit? Back into the real world, where everything is safe and where it should be. I feel there are a couple of major ways we need to rethink how we understand our approach to the Bible. But we'll struggle to if we cannot give ourselves permission to do so. I've had lots of conversations with people throughout our time at this community over the last few years who feel stuck with the Bible, and in a particular way that I call the too close, too far dilemma.
that the Bible for so many of us is too foreign, too ancient, too strange, too impenetrable, too indecipherable to make sense of. And for others, it's too loud, too strong, too judgmental, too close. And for lots of us, it's both things at once. Today, before we get too deep into the series, I want to spend a bit of time on the too close side of the equation. For all of you who feel you need to keep the Bible at a safe distance. For all of you who are stuck. What holds you to that problematic or unhelpful way of seeing the Bible? Why does it feel so harmful to hold the Bible so close, yet so dangerous to see it in a different, more nourishing way? When are we being wisely cautious, and when are we being bound by fear? We're likely to keep the Bible as close as feels safe to us. For many of us, our relationship started with the relationship something like this. Trigger warning, there's a lot of really bad stock photography today. (laughs) If you are a graphic designer or photographer, I apologize. We have limited resources, and sometimes we just need to steal things off the internet rather than shoot our own show. Again, if you gave a bit more, we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't have this problem, would we? My hands are tied. For many of us, our relationship started something like this. It was life-giving, encouraging, inspiring. Didn't always make sense. Those whispers were sometimes a little confusing but we told ourselves that there was something in it, and there was. Keeping it close was easy because it felt safe and nourishing to do so. But for a ton of reasons, and many of you have stories, if you don't have stories of this experience, please sit with our community and talk to different people about why this may have happened for them. But for a lot of people, the Bible began to feel a little bit more like this. An even worse stock photo, but still, you get the point. It felt violating, confusing, even abusive. Our relationship with it and the God it was supposed to represent began to break down. Or for others, it no longer represented the God we felt we knew. I also liked this one, oh. but it was a too low GPI, um, DPI to use. <laughs> that's, that's when the Bible ambushes you with a little bit of mansplaining. <coughs> we keep the Bible at a safe distance. If it feels safe, we keep it close to us. And for lots of people, your starting point with the Bible was, the Bible is all God, a clear and direct line to me. And when that was good, it was really good. 
But as that relationship transitioned and the nature of it turned, for lots of people, the safe distance for us is to be to say, the Bible is no God and has nothing to do with me. And what we want to explore as a community is whether there's something in between those places, where there's something more nuanced and nourishing and rich. I'm going to speculate why we need to do that in a moment, but first, a story. I was bullied at school for years. I went to primary school. I'm a Kiwi in New Zealand, at Pillins Point Primary. I had friends. Life was good. It was very straightforward. And then one day, because my dad changed work, we had to move towns. And we moved to Matamata, which is now known as Hobbiton. (laughs) I've gone and ruined a perfectly bad town. (laughs) Oh, I can't. There's things about Ronnie's Cafe I can't say here. (laughs) Exactly. Um... I moved town halfway through a year, which is never a good time to move town. I moved town from, I don't know, just a pretty standard primary school to one which had like quite a bit of money sloshing about. I was incredibly small. I had no eyebrows, which I wasn't going to get until I hit puberty, about 19. <laughs> People used to ask me, what happened to your eyebrows? <laughs> They're just really blonde. My mum got a job at Paper Plus, and so she got a discount on a... Paper Plus is like office works, but nowhere near as big or cool. She got a discount on a bag that would fit all of my stuff, and I don't mean like all of my books. I mean like actually including my bed, all of my stuff. <laughs> so I was like a snail. <laughs> This tiny human frail frame with this enormous house on the back. <laughs> I was incredibly skinny. I was a bit of a smart ass. I was a Christian, which for some reason I told people about. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Jesus. I'm not exactly what the formula is for who's worthy of becoming a scapegoat, but I passed whatever that test was with flying colours. I remember being in year nine, I guess, 13 years old. I'd been bullied for a few years by this point. I had a few friends, but none of them were ever in my classes. I remember that nauseous feeling of walking in the school gates going to a classroom full of fear. All I knew was that at some stage, in some way, an entire classroom was going to watch while a small group of people found a new and entertaining way of humiliating me. It didn't matter how kind or how smart or how razor sharp my wit was, the terms had already been set. They were the hunters and I was the hunted. One of the worst experiences was always getting wedgied. I don't know if you call it that over here. When someone puts their hand down your pants, which is a strange thing to do to someone who hasn't asked you to. 
and like yanks your undies as far back up your spine as you possibly can before they tear, and sometimes they did. And I remember that sensation of sitting stuck in a classroom with your underpants somewhere up here and knowing that everyone was watching and you had two options. You could either walk slash waddle your way to the bathrooms to tend to yourself there or you could avoid the walk of shame by trying to like readjust yourself in your chair while people accused you of touching yourself. There's this game that bullies like to play where they quietly stand near their victim, letting the fear brew, clenching their fists, and then suddenly they snap a punch really close to your face, at which point you flinch, and then they laugh at you for having moved when they didn't even punch you. But those are the dim bullies, the level one bullies. The more sophisticated ones, the more cunning ones play the same game but a different version. They like to pretend to be kind, imitating friendship as they draw a victim into trust. A group of them, and there's always a group, would surround you and ask you innocuous questions. What did you get up to last night? Did you see that movie? How are you going? And if you dare play it along, perhaps in the hope that the madness had ended that actually called you a truce, they suddenly turn the tables Do you think you're our friend, dickhead? Do you think we actually want to talk to you? So you don't. You turn down any offer of kindness, lest it turn into a trap. You're vigilant because threats can come from any angle. What you quickly learn is that whatever the scenario, you are not in control. The goalposts move from life and flourishing to mere survival. The quest for hope, joy, friendship, self-determination, and dignity all give give way to becoming small enough to not attract attention. Slowly, I withdrew from community, from true dialogue, because you cannot trust that you'll be safe. You lose the ability to tell who's safe and who's not. Having gone through an extensive first-hand research project on bullying called high school, I developed a nose for bullies and disempowerment. You learn to smell the particular kind of fear that robs people of the ability to self-determine. What was interesting reading the feedback forms this week as people talked about their hopes and fears with scripture is that the overwhelming emotional response underlying so many of them was fear. Fear. Whether explicitly or implicitly, all too many people are afraid of what this collection of books tells them about God and themselves. For many, it is not a well of life. It is not something they feel they can hold safely. It's a take it or leave it that they have little power over. Rather than feeling safe to explore it for wisdom and flourishing, it has functioned like a megaphone from God that shouts too loudly to hear yourself. I am God I am this, take it or leave it. This is what the Bible is, and these are the terms you are allowed to engage it on. What it smells like is bullying. And where there's bullying, 
there's bullies. The question is, where does this fear stem from? Why do we continue to accept the Bible on certain terms and would rather throw it away than reconsider how we engage with it? One of the things we might ask during this series, one of the things we might try and do is uncover the voices that have set the terms for us that were found so unhelpful. If this is a book that has been held dear for centuries because it brought life to communities, if this is a book that has represented a movement of the masses from the undersides, from the outside, from the marginalized places to a safe place, how has it become a text of terror? None of us came to these texts with a blank slate. All of us received some kind of instruction from a variety of sources as to what this book is and what you're allowed to do with it. And what I want to do this morning is for us to think about this. This is what the Bible is. And this is how you are to read it. Says who? Who defined the Bible for you? Do you respect them? Do you trust them? Do you feel like they understand your story and your experience? Are you confident this is the most faithful way of approaching the text? I just want you to sit with that for just a minute. We'll give you a second. And just as a community, we're just going to talk about those two questions at the start first. I want you to think about unhelpful and unsafe ways the Bible has been described for you. And just to give um, just some boundaries and parameters for this, some people might share things that for you are very dear to you and feel safe and okay. And I just want you to understand, like for us all to be on the same page, that context is everything. What feels for, fine for one person can be really difficult for another. What kind of what authority feels like for one person can feel really different to someone else, depending on the context. So I just want everyone to be safe to share the ways that the Bible has been explained to them without worrying too much about killing sacred cows. And if some of this offends you, just to kind of sit with that and try and listen through that offense to hear the story of the person behind it. So let's sit for a moment. What are some ways that the Bible has been described to you? This is what the Bible is, and this is how you read it, that you found unhelpful. And in a second, we'll, um, anyone who'd like to share, we can share together. Take a moment. Would anyone like to share? 
a way the Bible's been defined for them or described for them that they found unhelpful. Um, for me, it was that it's literal, that you can just read it in English and that's the truth and that's God's words and that's unquestionable. And you should just be able to flick to a verse, read it, and everything will be fine. Um, Thank you. Sorry about that. That was off there. For me, it was defined as you believe all of it or none of it. Um, For me, it was my mum and my... Um, Assemblies of God Church school that I went to and it was a stick to beat people with, very black or white, in or out. For me, um, it's like the way Hannah Gatsby described it in Annette when she told that story about um, the guy at the bus stop, if everyone's seen it, and how she only told a part of the story when she first told the joke. And for me, it was just the ending of a story, like Noah's Ark or whatever, and everyone's fine. But then you don't break it down and go, hang on, what? Like, um, and there's so many stories in the Bible where I think we're actually meant to go in and go, hang on, how will like, the women treat it here? And, but we just get the, the bottom, the joke or the punchline, and everything's fine. Um, yeah, so that lack of analysis and what there is to learn in that, that we weren't given the opportunity there's some corpses floating by, but don't pay any attention to them. Think about Noah. I think that every child's play set of Noah's Ark should come with some, like, <laughs> some, f- some floaters. To clarify. Um, I feel like, because I came to faith or, like, faith curiosity um, slightly older, I, um, I feel like I was allowed to define what the Bible was for me, for me. Um, and that's probably to do with partly stubbornness too. Um, but then also that is confronting in its own way, right? Because it's like anything, you think that you're reading the text, but then you bring so much of your own experience to it that it, it ends up reading you. And I think that is sometimes the most confronting thing of it is that you kind of feel like you're standing on two sheets of ice on the ocean that is moving all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, opposite to Kat, I kind of grew up with church and Bible from day one. Um, church of England, um, Assembly of God, you know, all the same, really. Um, and certainly reading it was, when I was younger, was out of fear. So, if I didn't read it before, when I went to school, you know, something bad was going to happen to me. Um, and then when, if I fell asleep reading it, that was really terrible as well. Something bad was going to happen to me. And I often fell asleep because it was early. Um, and then it was through that time, I don't know if you're familiar with Every Day with Jesus, and I had that, and, and, and I thought that was the right way of reading it. And um, then I went through a big transition um, growing up, having children who are now babies of 28, Sorry, Lois, she hates it when she's with me. Um, And then in time, um, I think, like Kat says, I began to read it in a different way from the context of my own experience. 
and um, my need for God. And actually, there were other books that I needed to read alongside that didn't necessarily have a scripture written in it. And, and they were giving me more than the actual scripture itself. But then I could take that back into the scripture. And then I was able to see, for me, wow, God is really compassionate. And I have so misunderstood so much of this. Um, and then I went back to thought, I need to have a regular Bible study. Try every day with Jesus. I got through two days and I thought, I don't agree with this. And I thought, I'm allowed not to agree. And that's when growth for me kind of began. At the moment, I still don't have a Bible study <laughs> to do. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're definitely going to hell. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I can't say that, definitely. <laughs> um, for me, the Bible was always really closely like correlated with church authority. So like the justification for anything happening was, oh, we do it this way because the Bible says so. And so if anyone got hurt, it was sort of like, well, the Bible says so, so you can't really argue with it. Um, so very much as like a kind of, I don't know, benchmark of authority um, to be held over people. Um, haven't fully formulated what I want to say, but I think for me the Bible was presented very much within a social context and it wasn't necessarily one person but a group of people and a whole community and like my friends and I did, I do respect and trust and like them and I think that's what made it more confusing um, when I felt positive things about them and then confused or confronted but not able to engage with a conversation because they had the Bible and they were right. And I was like, well, what if there's something else in the Bible that I have that I can say, but you're all saying this other thing. Um, so I think for me, it came with a, yeah, with a whole social context of anxiety and not wanting to be different. Um, yeah. And having positive feelings towards it and people, but that wasn't the only thing there. So, yeah. Um, start with how you are to read it, because for me it's very specific. Um, I grew up with youth group, um, and there was a lot of superstition around, you know, having to do it every single day, or, yeah, something bad would happen, or you lose your kind of, um, like, your, your streak of, like, <laughs> like <laughs> your snaps. Like, um, so you did your reading, and it was usually, it had to be a chapter, um, and then you do your soap analysis. I don't know if anyone else does soap analysis. Um, and then you'd go to church on Sunday and you'd get chocolate as a reward for the number of days that you did it in that week. Um, so that was all. <laughs> and I did, you know, I did enjoy the kind of, um, like the good thing that came out of that was that, you know, I do have a like, good familiarity with the Bible, but the superstition side of that was it's not good. Um, and then when I stopped doing it every day, there would be extreme guilt around not doing it. Um, when... I kind of moved into the young adults group. It then became, um, you can get Bible programs where you read the whole Bible in a year and it sets that out for you. And then that kind of became the gold standard that you move through a program so that you read the whole Bible every year. Um, so, yeah, I had both of those. And then over that time, um, yeah, in leadership, but kind of decreasing how much I actually read the Bible and then guilt around that. Um, I think in some ways um, what 
the Bible is and the people that defined that for me. Um, I was lucky to kind of understand it as a, a library rather than one whole book. But I think um, the way it was presented was that kind of all questions in life or all questions you have about the Bible um, can be kind of neatly understood through with enough analysis. And so that then puts a lot of pressure on you to kind of, you know, understand the specific words for things or deeply understand the context. Um, and that just became really heavy and a big burden. So, yeah. Life is complicated, but fortunately the Bible is not. Yeah. Oh, we've got hands everywhere. Oh, here we go. Oh, you're pointing to someone else. Man, making me work this morning. Pointing? Oh, you, thank you. Everyone stop. Um, It's an interesting two questions because I thought maybe the third question I would be keen to hear is, you know, uh, following on from did you respect them is were you respected um, in this conversation by them? Yeah, and I think um, uh, reading a ton of parenting books at the moment with this little one, um, the definition of respect is to... Oh, God, now I've forgotten it. I've gotten the stage fat and forgotten what the definition of... But it's... <laughs> no. Um, definition of respect is um, to actually refrain from interfering. Um, and so when you've got kids, um, a lot of respectful parenting is around and people can... The other people in this community can talk to this a lot more than I have. But from the textbook anyway, it's um, to observe your child um and understand them for who they are and refrain from solving their problems or rushing in and saving them or giving them a right or wrong way to play with a toy. Um, And I think from hearing a lot of the stuff in the beginning, it sounds a lot like maybe a lot of our journeys came from people that we totally respected, but maybe our own individual needs were not respected when the Bible was introduced to us, for better or for worse, because I think a lot of the time parents unintentionally disrespect their child because you don't have enough faith that they're going to solve their problem or they're going to um, not be hurt by the situations that really tough situations they find themselves in growing up. So you as a parent think, I can control this, I can make your life better um, by intervening and maybe in doing that, that um, some of, unintentionally, that's sort of been some of the consequences. <laughs> Pete, stop intervening on your baby choking, please. <laughs> Let her learn. Uh, this is a bit of a side comment. Um, so I didn't grow up Christian um, until I met Seth and then I got dragged along to a few Bible studies. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, but uh, one of my favorite things to do during those studies was to actually try and get the, the pastor to admit they just didn't understand the text. <laughs> Good luck with that, buddy. Um, so I guess that's how I view the Bible is that sometimes you just can't understand it and that's okay. You don't need to overanalyze stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, for me, I grew up very much learning that it was the way to know God. And it was almost the only way to know God or how it was interpreted and presented was the way to know God. But then through that, you could either hear it or share it with someone else and either feel it, have that feeling of great love and affirmation who you are and that reconciliation with God or the flip side of it can cause great offence. But the gold thing about that was if it caused great offence, it meant you could help move someone 
to get to know the love and the wholeness and the reconciliation with God and that they were a sinful person because of that offence that it caused them and they had to move. But that's also super damaging and horrible. And then for me, I found myself on the flip side of that, of feeling offended by how people presented the Bible to me as well throughout yeah, my more recent years. So, yeah, it goes both ways. I think there's also a dawning awareness for lots of us that we've sat on both sides of this fence too, which might help us be really kind. Mm. Um, sorry, second comment by me. But um, on Twitter, people in their bios often say retweets don't mean endorsements. So what they mean is they would might post something that someone else has put up just to show you how horrific that is or that it's, you know, just because I've put it up doesn't mean they agree with it or that it's an endorsement. And I f wish someone had told me that about the Bible. Just because it's in there and it's, ex it's laid out in its horror doesn't mean it's an endorsement of that behaviour and that we're meant to just look over it. It's actually there to show us human nature, humankind and why we need God or why. Um, yeah, so I wish that was explained to me. That's what I felt I really missed. If we remembered that Jesus was Jewish, we might have a good idea of, <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, the first introduction to the Bible, uh, girlfriend had challenged me to read it. Um, and I was a Catholic and I didn't know where to get a Bible. So I thought I'd ask the Catholic priest who proceeded to tell me that he was the only one who could interpret it and you need the Holy Spirit, and he's now going to excommunicate me and tell my family. So um, I was a bit scared to pick it up for about two weeks. It sort of sat there before I picked it up. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to get excommunicated. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, but... Uh, but then as I uh, began to read it, I, I grew to really love it. Um, but then, you know, when I started going to church that was not Catholic, um, it just, yeah, different interpretations. And over the year, it, it just became really confusing. And, yeah, not really quite sure. But the good thing about this study is I actually picked it up during the week. Yeah, I did. And it wasn't that scary. Yeah. Good news, everyone. We're finished. Includes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. We'll put the handbrake on there. Uh, just so, I should, probably should have told you this beforehand, but we have recorded this and we are sending it all to your parents and former pastors. So. <laughs> did you get all the names, Warwick? Good. Okay. Excellent. So be expecting some phone calls this week is all I'm saying. <laughs> so, I want you to sit with that set of questions this week and just explore it. Maybe write some reflections if you're that kind of person. We're going to talk a bit more about how this plays out later on in the series. But I want to leave you with a passage from the Bible and some context. Contesting how to apply holy words is nothing new. In Jesus' day, there were passionate 
and well-meaning religious leaders who had become convinced that the reason that God was not saving them from the Roman Empire was because they didn't keep every inch of the law to the nth degree. So they came up with a framework, a very complex one, to interpret the law for their people, to overdo the law deliberately, to make sure that no one's breaking of the law was keeping God from being with us. So they set up a million tiny rules to make sure no one was letting the team down on threat of expulsion from the community that nourished them. They held the power. They were so scared of breaking the law that they outlawed looking in the mirror on the Sabbath, lest you see a gray hair in your beard and pluck it out, and God looked upon it as harvesting, which was work. To harvest on the Sabbath was unlawful, and that might just be enough for God to not help you. For people living on the poverty line under the brutality of the Roman Empire, the last thing they needed was the fear of being cut off from their community by breaking some obscure violation. I'm going to get Sam, I'll come to you, Sam. I'm going to get Sam to read for us. If you feel safe to and trust the people at your table, you can close your eyes. Uh, This is from Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 to 12. Oh, wait, 28. I don't know. I don't read the Bible very often. I can't remember. All right. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and he began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple sorry, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath's duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's our experiment during the Bible series. And you can just call it an experiment. And afterwards, you can work out whether it was true and right and life-giving and nourishing or not. But just for this series, I want you to say no to bullying. I want you to say no to fear. Caution by all means. Wisdom, absolutely. Fear, no. I want you to try and trust these words of Jesus. Come unto me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. To experiment with kindness. To experiment with grace. To experiment with the Jesus who reinterpreted again how the law applied, how holy words affected our lives. Come unto me. That's our experiment. We're going to be talking about a bunch of different ways that scripture has been seen and used throughout Christian history. Um, But we're not going to be able to get anywhere with them if we can't release ourselves from some of our bullies. We're going to eat and drink together, um, share a meal together. And yeah, I hope and pray that this would be a season of peace and kindness for each of you. And to me too.